Roger and Ken and Andy, you can talk about this. When the music wasn't great and you felt when you got up that I better have my A game today. But now I think I could almost just sit down and just let that be it, but I won't. So, don't be disappointed, you know, I won't. But um, How great it is to be here and, and this is amazing to be here with uh, the music is wonderful. It's great to see you all here today. I want to even welcome the people that are listening to us by live stream today. Uh, we are glad that you're listening with us. We're glad that we can be here together. And I want to just invite you to turn in your Bible, if you have it, uh, the app on your phone, however you want to look. It'll be up on the screen here to our right and left as if by magic and remote control. Uh, Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Let your requests, uh, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Not too long ago, a few months ago, I was watching the news out of Birmingham, and it must have been a slow news day that day because they were, uh, one of the news stories was that there was a new burger joint at the summit called the Shake Shack. Have any of y'all eaten at the Shake Shack? Some of you have. Well, they were all excited about this is a national chain and even some international stores, and it specialized in hamburgers and, of course, hand-spun you know, shakes and, and chicken sandwiches and all of those good things. And kind of makes me hungry talking about it right now. But at the time, I was watching and I was thinking, does Birmingham really need another burger joint? Because I was just thinking of all the burger joints that they have. In addition to all the fast food ones, all the McDonald's and Burger Kings and Hardee's and Five Guys and, and uh, all of those, they have all those specialty ones. Have, have you ever gone to Flip Burgers? Wow, that's an experience. They will make a milkshake for you there by pouring liquid nitrogen in there. And you know the smoke or whatever it is that comes up there and it's just, whoo, ah, you know. And then there's Mooya. I mean, one of the best burgers I ever had, I had at Mooya. Uh, then, you know, there's one downtown that's fairly new. It's called Kraft Burger. And they go and they kind of make it however you want them to make it. They'll, for a dollar extra, they'll add a fried egg on top of that hamburger. And I want to say, this is personal opinion, there's nothing wrong with adding a fried egg on top of your, your burger. So, and then there's Milo's. I mean, they do actually sell burgers. They don't just sell sweet tea. They sell burgers there, too. Um, and then, of course, you know, you can go to a fancy place. You go to Perry's Steakhouse, you can get a burger there, but you better call and make a reservation because it's, it's kind of more on the fancier side. So after all of that, maybe I've answered my own question. Maybe they really do need another burger joint in Birmingham uh, because all these places you can get a hamburger, but they all have one uh, kind of a unique experience at every one of them, right? Uh, so now that I'm talking about hamburgers so much, since we are relatively newcomers to Gadsden, 
if you have a favorite place to get burgers, I want you to come and tell me about it after this service because I've tried some of them. If there's this favorite little hidden place that sells it, you come and tell me, okay? And then maybe we'll go together. So, um, but all of these burger places, all kind of the same, all kind of unique, kind of reminds me of all the churches that we have in town. It's, we're all kind of the same, we're all kind of unique, but it makes me wonder, what is it about our church that sets us apart from other churches in town? What makes us unique from other churches? And have you ever thought about that? It's kind of what I've been hinting at as, as we talk about the, the kind of church that we want to be. In the month of January, the whole theme has been, I have a dream. I have a dream of what kind of church that I want us to be. And uh, the first Sunday, we talked about uh, the dream of being a church that's internally strong, a church that through, through worship and through Bible study and through small groups from children and youth and all the way up to adults, that we become strong on the inside, that we have our first principles in order so that we can live principled lives and be strong as we face the future. And then the next Sunday was externally focused, how we take our, our mission state, statement to share Christ and to, to make disciples and to serve and to give hope. So we take our internal strength and we turn it out and we go and do the mission God's called us to do. Internally strong, you see. Externally focused, doing what God's called us to do. And then last week, I talked about how we just want to be extravagantly welcoming and, and show hospitality in all that we do, um, to show extravagant hospitality so that when people come here, they feel like they're welcomed in, uh, regardless of who they are, that they're just wrapped in a warm welcome, extravagant hospitality. So if I could just sum those first three up into one little phrase, it would be that we as a church are known to be a people who know how to love God and know how to love our neighbor. It sounds simple, but you know, even a hamburger can be great if you, a simple hamburger is great if you do it right. Um, so that's, I want the whole community to know us as a church that's like that. Today I'm finishing up by showing three characteristics or three marks that I hope that our church bears. And as you've already seen from the choir's beautiful song and from other things that we've sung as hymns, it surrounds prayer. And there is an outline in your newsletter. If you want to pull it out, if you're the kind that likes to follow outlines, then follow right along with that. So first, the first mark or the first characteristic is that I hope that we are a joyful church. Paul says in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. A joyful church. This is, this is not a kind of superficial happiness that, that we feel sometimes when everything's going our way. You know, when everybody's well and nobody's got the flu and, and the stocks are up and our team won the ball game and the sun is out. Okay, that kind of happiness is great, but it surrounds circumstances, right? It's dependent on circumstances. This kind of joy has to do with a deep internal gladness that is directly connected to the grace of God. Because Paul says, rejoice in the Lord, right? I can't always rejoice in my circumstances. We have those days from time to time when things don't go our way. But I can always rejoice in the Lord when I know that joy, in this sense, is directly connected to the grace of God. And then Paul adds that little word, 
always. And there are days that I want to look at Paul and say, really, seriously, Paul, always, even today? And Paul says, always. Because I don't, I have an imagination, y'all, and sometimes I read stuff and I, I picture what Paul might look like. And I always picture Paul, he's kind of he's maybe stooped over a little bit. He's one of those people that looks older than he is chronologically because of the life that he's lived. I picture him as kind of stooped over. And he's, he's dictating this letter, right? Because, you know, a lot of Bible scholars think that Paul had, had eyesight problems. And so he's dictating this letter to this little guy. He's got, he's got a, a scroll, you know, he's writing this, this on. And, and Paul, he's stooped over. He's, he's got scars on his back because the Bible tells us that he's, he was flogged, beaten with a whip 39 times on five different occasions. His back is crisscrossed with scars. He's probably got arthritis because the Bible also tells us he was beaten with rods on three different occasions. On top of that, he's got probably health issues that come from the fact that they tried to stone him to death for heaven's sake. They, they gave him a stoning and he was there and they left him for dead under a pile of rocks and his followers came and dug him out and he still lived. He was shipwrecked on three different occasions. One and one of those occasions, he spent a day and a night floating in the sea, hanging on to wreckage, seeing if somebody was going to come and rescue him. And this very letter that he's writing to the Philippians, he's writing while he's in a jail cell facing almost certain death. That is the man who is saying, rejoice in the Lord always. He's writing to a church in Philippi that is facing its own divisions. They can't really get along. They're threatening to split. They're having trouble. They're having pressure from the inside and from the outside. And Paul is saying, look, I have been through just about everything that a person can go through. And I'm telling you that no matter what you're going through, it can't take away your joy in the Lord. Because once you have a hold of the fact that God's grace has a hold of you, then you can rejoice. Understanding God's grace. Understanding God's grace. I want to, I want to recommend a book to you. It's, it's a book by Philip Yancey. It's called What's So Amazing About Grace. And if you are a reader... And you could pick one book in 2019 to read other than the Bible to help you in your spiritual growth. This might be a good book for you to read. Uh, What's So Amazing About Grace. In this book, uh, Philip Yancey tells about a conversation that's going on between a man and a woman on a city bus. The woman is reading a book, and the man's sitting beside her, and he says, uh, what you reading? And she says, well, is this book that... My friend gave me, and she said it really changed her life. And it's a book called um, The Road Less Traveled by Scott Peck. Maybe some of you have heard this. It's been around a long time on bestseller list for years and years. The Road Less Traveled. He said, well, what's it about? She said, uh, it's some kind, of, uh, some kind of book about a guide for life. And, and uh, well, here's some of the, she started flipping through the book. Here's some of the chapters. There's, there's a chapter titled Discipline, and one titled Love, and one titled Grace. And he said, wait, 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 stop right there. Grace, 
what is grace? And she said, I don't know. I haven't gotten to grace yet. I haven't gotten to grace yet. There's something about those words that just kind of stabs my heart. Because sometimes I think the church has not gotten to grace yet. Sometimes I think we've gotten really good at debating over doctrines and defending positions. And sometimes we are even really excellent at being the moral police and shaming other people we don't think live up to our standards. But sometimes I think we haven't gotten to grace yet, which it seems to me that ought to be the thing that we lead with because that's the best thing that we have to offer. Other religions have doctrines and codes and standards, and but we're the only ones that have the grace of God. We're the only ones that have the riches and the, the forgiveness and the love of God that we'll never earn and we'll never deserve, but which God offers. Wow, what if we offered that? What if we got to grace and then went from there? Because y'all... It's a graceless world that we live in. Do you watch the news or read the newspapers or watch your news feed on your smart device? And, and look and see the violence and the wars and fighting and division and oppression and famine and strife and the stress. Clearly the world has not gotten to grace yet. But as Christians, when Christians get to grace and when grace gets to them, then they're free to rejoice because they know, right, up here and in here, they know that God has forgiven them of their past and that God is with them in the present and that God holds their future in his hands. And so it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. All shall be well. All shall be well. So a rejoicing church. Then uh, the next one is a gentle and non-anxious church. Verse 5. I want to ask Paul sometimes. What are you talking about, Paul? You said, let your gentleness be known to everyone. Gentleness is kind of a hard word to translate over into English. Some translations say your forbearing spirit. Let your forbearing spirit be known to everybody. Let your gentleness be known. Sometimes we think about gentleness and we think it's okay. He's saying be a wimp. He's talking about weakness, and this far, far from the truth. He's not saying be a wimp. Gentleness isn't weakness. Gentleness is strength under control. Gentleness is that quality of a person who knows how to meet someone halfway. Let me say that again. Gentleness is a quality of spirit that a person knows how to meet somebody halfway. It's what every person, uh, every good person in law enforcement knows how to do. Uh, How to follow the strict letter of the law when it needs it and how to meet a person halfway and show mercy when they need it. It's what every parent knows how to do with their children if they're a good parent. It's what every teacher, every good teacher knows how to do with their student. It's what every good business owner knows how to do with their employees and with the public who comes in their customers. They know the spirit of gentleness and how to meet someone halfway. And that should be the defining mark of the church. It should be what sets us apart. 
gentleness, one of the fruits of the Spirit, what would it be like if that was one of our defining characteristics as a church? The world is watching. The world is watching not just us. The world will be watching our denomination when they gather in St. Louis in February 23rd through 26th of 2019. The world will be watching. Wouldn't it be great if the world saw a group of Christians who possessed the character uh, of, and the quality of being able to meet each other halfway? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? We need to be in prayer that this fruit of the Spirit will be evident. Paul says, let your gentleness be known to everyone. It's a crazy list you're giving us, Paul, here. You're telling us to rejoice. You're telling us to let our gentleness be known. And then Paul says, oh, yeah, you think that's something? Get a load of this. Verse 6, don't be anxious about anything. Don't, don't be anxious about anything. Now, in fairness, to be able to give a counterpoint to what Paul says... I want to introduce to you a couple of people that I, I have pictures of. We're going to put up on the screen. Uh, one, I'd like to introduce you to Stress Boy. It's, I can't see. Is Stress Boy up there? Here's Stress Boy. He says, I've got 99 problems, and 86 of them are completely made-up scenarios in my head that I'm stressing about for absolutely no reason. Okay? Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. Stress Boy says, are you kidding? Okay. And not to be outdone. May I introduce to you Anxiety Girl. Put Anxiety Girl up there. So Anxiety Girl, able to jump to the worst conclusion in a single bound. Anxiety is a superpower. Well, we, we laugh about that, or at least snicker. Sometimes the truth hurts. But we are anxious. These are stressful times. The word, the Greek word for anxiety and anxiousness in verse 6 means, this is, this is telling, it means to be pulled in different directions. Do you ever feel pulled in different directions? And then the word, the English word that we use coming from the Latin comes from the root A-N-G-E-R-E, anger. It means to strangle or to cause pain by squeezing. You know, words that come from that root are words like angina, the squeezing chest pain that people have, and words like anguish and angst and anger to cause pain by squeezing, to be pulled in all directions and to be in pain from the squeeze. That's anxiety. Everyone feels it from time to time, but to live there, to live in this place I'm no expert on anxiety but I know that being anxious steals your joy and I know that living in anxiety is like living in some kind of inner ghetto when God wants you to live in a better place than that so what helps well I can tell you from personal experience that that talking to a wise counselor can help relieve your anxiousness. Someone who can help you get a perspective. There, there are times when that helps a lot. And, and sometimes it's your best friend, but sometimes you just need somebody that's totally objective from this that can help you sort through and help you see this. I highly recommend it. 
There are also times when, when biological factors are complicated and they, they drive anxiety and depression, and you need to talk to a medical professional. You need to get some treatment and some help that way. It can make all the difference in the world. Don't be afraid to ask for help if you need it. There are also things, simpler things that people participate in that help with anxiety, like yoga and, and engaging in relaxing hobbies. And uh, I was uh, just the other day seeing a whole group of people over in Gaston Variety play mahjong. I don't know if it's a relaxing hobby or if it causes anxiety. I don't know which one is it. You'll have to tell me. But sometimes your hobbies can help reduce anxiety because it gets your mind off, things like that. Any healthy option you have to help lower your anxiety, take advantage of it. I had, this is, I want to show you something that I got one of my favorite stores. This is a Celtic worry stone. You ever seen a worry stone? It's a little shiny stone. It's got a little dent in there for your thumb to, and the idea is just that when you're worried, you're supposed to rub on this little stone. Do I look less worried? Yes, I'm rubbing on this stone. So maybe I do. Whatever healthy option you have to help, help. But I want to offer to you, I want to propose to you something that Paul suggests because it's so powerful. He says, be a prayerful church. That's the third thing. When people look at our church, I want them to see a prayerful church. Paul says, in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God in everything. If you would put it in a nutshell, you could say, instead of being anxious about everything, pray about everything. I want to make sure that everybody hears what I'm saying when I'm saying this. I want to make sure that you hear what I am saying and what I'm not saying, okay? Um, what I'm not saying is, don't worry, be happy. Hakuna Matata, you know. What I'm not saying, when you come to me with your stressful problems and burdens and your world's falling apart, what I'm not saying is, put on a happy face. Because smilers wear a crown and losers wear a frown. Okay, I'm not saying that. So. And I'm not saying, oh, just pray about it. I am going to pray with you about it. Don't get me wrong. But I'm not saying it in a trite way. A simplistic way. What I'm saying is prayer is powerful. Prayer changes things. It changes us. Being deeply aware of God's grace and having a communication line open with God makes all the difference in the world. It is possible to, to have a gentle and non-anxious presence in an anxious world when we practice, get this word, when we practice prayer. Sometimes we don't practice prayer. We use prayer as, in case of emergency, break glass and, and pray. Kind of like we do with diet and exercise sometimes, right? When you practice good exercise and eating habits, it can make a huge difference in your life, in your well-being, in your health. But here's what we do with uh, the diet part. Um, what we do is sometimes, I, I've, this is, you know, theory. I'm not talking about my own self here. This is talking about, you know, in theory. We don't do anything with our diet all year long until 
we get ready, we have a beach trip coming up, and we put on our bathing suit and we look in the mirror and we think, oh, no, I'm not taking that out on the beach. And so then we go on a crash diet. Really, We have grapefruit juice and cardboard for 90 days so that we can be ready. Uh, that's silly, but, you know, we do stuff like that. Or with exercise, we just forget about exercise or about Thanksgiving, go through Thanksgiving and Christmas thinking we'll pick it up, and then all of a sudden our clothes don't fit anymore, we feel awful, we, and we panic, right? And then we run to the gym, and we, we work out on every machine in the gym, do four sets of everything all at once, and then the next day we're, I can't get out of bed. We treat prayer like that, though, sometimes. We just, we just forget about praying when everything's going okay, and then all of a sudden we have an emergency, right? And then we're trying to make up for lost time. We're wanting to have a 24-hour prayer vigil or something like that. When God says, I want to have the open communication line with you all the time, Pray about everything. Pray without ceasing. Bring all of your requests. Keep a constant line open. And here's what Paul says when you do that. He says, God's peace will guard your heart. Now keep in mind, Paul is in prison. He's got a prison guard physically guarding his body. But he said, you know what? God's peace is guarding my heart. I think about an Old Testament character who had this experience and one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament, Daniel. You know Daniel in the lion's den and all that? Daniel was kidnapped from his home, taken to Babylon. Uh, he was there, a stranger in a strange land. He kept practicing the practices he was at home. He kept praying to God three times a day. And, um, and really the king liked him. You know, this, this foreign king liked Daniel. And, and some uh, people around Daniel didn't like the fact that the king liked Daniel, so they cooked up a plan. And they went to King Darius and they said, Hey, we think that it would be great if you sent out a decree that no one could pray to anybody but you. Because you know you're so great, so nobody can pray to anybody but you. And Darius, being the egomaniacal king that he was, said, That sounds like a great idea. Let's do that. So he signs the decree... And then, of course, Daniel gets word, right? Because this affects him. He prays to his God every single day. And what Daniel does then is he goes back home and he opens his window just like he'd been doing before. And he gets down on his knees and he prays. And he gets caught praying. And he gets thrown into the lion's den. And then God sends his angel who closes the mouth of the lion. And Daniel spends the night in the lion's den. Daniel doesn't worry. He's at peace. He's at peace. And then it says in Daniel 6.18 that King Darius was up all night because he was worried. So Daniel is in the lion's den, but he's at peace. Darius is in a palace, but he's anxious and worried. I don't know about you, but I would rather have peace in the lion's den than anxious and stress in the palace. See, I have a dream for us here that we are a church that's joyful because we understand the grace of God and, 
that we're gentle and non-anxious because we know the peace of God and that we have no unfinished business. No unfinished business. We don't have to make up for lost time in prayer because we have constant communication with God in prayer. Why is it important? Why is it important to think about, to dream about the kind of church that we want to be? It's this, because the kind of church that we are reflects the kind of God that we serve. You know, I've heard that veterinarians can look at a dog and they can look at that dog and determine what kind of owner that dog has just by looking at the dog. Can't you understand that? And when people look at us, I want them to see living proof of a loving God. Let's pray. God, sometimes when you call us to not be anxious and to let our gentleness be known to everyone, it, it sounds funny to our ears because we don't feel that way sometimes. We, we don't feel like being at peace. We, we do feel the anxiety. We don't feel like letting our gentle, gentleness show. We feel like getting in a fight. And sometimes we're anything but peaceful and non-anxious. But God, we want to do your will. And the part of us that doesn't want to do your will wants to want to do your will. So continue to work inside of us. Sometimes, Lord, we bring with us, even to church, our anxieties. Today, Lord, help us to cast them on you. So that when we walk forth from this place, the peace of God can be guarding our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And that's our invitation to you. And as we stand and sing this old hymn.